0: Here we go. Um, so, we'll go ahead. Is there any, anything else that needs to be said? or no? Okay. Um, so, as you're going, man, if, if a question pops to your mind, hold that with you. Write it down or whatever, because we'll give you opportunities uh, at the end to be able to ask those. I may even just let you, um, most of you guys, uh, I think a lot of you guys have my number. If not, nudge somebody next to you and find out. You can text them to me if you're uncomfortable, ask them out loud or whatever, and we can, we can work through some of those things. But... Um, we'll want, just we'll jump
1: right in. You want to write your number on the board? Maybe here. That makes sense. <laughs>
2: I would <will> make. <laughs> what that?
0: That's not 40s. Just everybody knows. All right. Put me in your contacts. We'll be besties. <laughs> All right, you want to move us to the first question?
1: Yeah, it's the first one.
0: First question Anthony is... Anthony, this is your question. <laughs> yes! Basically, there's a couple Anthony uh, questions question that we about. whittled down from uh, the nine slides that they did take up down to one. Um, and so, um,
1: you could just insert in parentheses every other word, glory, or something like that. <laughs> um, I'll be honest, I had it. You know, look up a couple words. <laughs> Why would he choose to use that word? Um I have to explain
0: myself so, fully. I think this one may have started with, The Lord's servant had an inquiry about...
3: I am the Lord's
0: servant. Alright, <laughs> okay. um, so here it is. Oneness Pentecostals. That is that is a specific group that believes that God is only one. One is Pentecostals, Muslims, and other anti-Trinitarian views attack the orthodox view of the Trinity. That is, they dis- disagree. Um, so, why is it that we believe God is three in one? If there are these views who can put out attacks and shots against it, why is it that we actually hold to
1: that belief? And why do we believe that to be so important? You want to take yeah. that one, Scout? So, I, I wanted to take this one not because I can fully explain... The Trinity, um, but I think what was helpful for me to learn about it was, well, let me start with this. Uh, some of you might be, might be interested and maybe shocked to know the word Trinity actually isn't in the Bible. Um, nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God is, is one God in three persons. <coughs> but Orthodox Christianity believes that, and and so do we. And so, how did we get there? And I think what's interesting about doctrine. Um, and how doctrine is formed. And this is really helpful for me to picture what was actually going on in the early church. So here's here's what happened. So God inspires these apostles to write letters to the churches, dealing with, you know, talking about the life of Jesus, um, sharing the implications of the gospel in their life and in their community, um, how they live now as Christians now that they're in Christ, and so these things are being written. God is inspiring them to write to these people. But but the early writers, the early the apostles, they're not writing doctrine. They're not creating and defining doctrine. They're just writing letters. Okay. So then you get into the the, the second and third and fourth centuries, and the early church is is being attacked by outward groups. Okay. So this Christian group. What do you guys believe about God? What do you believe about um, you know your, your your Bible says you believe in one God well the Greek Greek people well oftentimes polytheists they would see that as sometimes even accused as atheism because you only believe in one God and then and then Jewish people would come along and say well you believe Jesus is God also how can God be God and Jesus be God you know that's ridiculous and then the Bible your word seems to paint the picture that the Holy Spirit is God too so it's confusing so so the church had to go, whoa, 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 what, what do we believe? So they, they compiled, you know, based on God's leading and the Holy Spirit's leading and the church fathers, and compiling these books that they believe are God's word. And then they start examining these and going, okay, what does it teach about God? What does it teach about Jesus? What does it teach about salvation? And that's how, that's how doctrines are formed. So you have these early church councils that would get together to say, this is what we believe. This is what we agree on. Um, these, these are major things and these are minor things. And so um, the Trinity was, was one of the bigger ones. So here's what the early church was wrestling with. As they're studying the scriptures, as they're going, okay, what does the Bible teach about who God is? They're wrestling with the fact that God seems to present it as, as unity. So God is one. Um, diversity. There is Father, Son, and Spirit that are all said to be God. And then there is um, equality. So unity, diversity, and equality all seem to be characteristics of God. So how does this work? And so he's 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 he's, he's got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're 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 equally God, and yet it's one God. And so how does this all work? And so th- these are the things we're wrestling with. And and early on there were heresies that came up that wanted to kind of attack. And so you had a couple examples like. Um, uh, Modalism, which emphasized unity and diversity, but denies, sorry, it u- emphasized unity and equality, but denies diversity. So, so for the ins- for instance, how many of you ever heard the, the illustration that God is like liquid? Sometimes He's ice, sometimes He's gas, sometimes He's fluid, li- you know, liquid. You've heard this? Okay. That's that's just, and actually, you've, maybe you've used that to illustrate, because it's like, oh, that's a helpful illustration. Yeah, that's how He's three in one. That's actually called modalism, and that was a second-century heresy that was deemed as a heresy for the church. I've been a heretic because I've <laughs> I've kind of tried to use it, you know. Think, oh, this is this might be helpful for this ten-year-old. You know, I was teaching heresy. Uh, another one was another one was or subordinationism, subordinationalism. Uh, Arianism is another uh, way. It's another thing. It's called another view. It's called. But it emphasizes unity and diversity, but denies equality. So this is the sun illustration. Okay, so God is like the sun, right? So you have you have the sun, but then you see the rays. You know, the rays are like, like Jesus, and then the heat that we feel is like the Holy Spirit. Well, that is subordinationalism because it, what it's saying is, God, the sun is like really really important, and then the the rays and the heat they're they're less important but it, so god the father is major important and then the son and the spirit are less and so they're again emphasizing unity and diversity but they're they're denying equality and then the last one was uh, tritheism which emphasized div- diversity and equality but denies unity and this is the egg illustration this is the the shell you know god is like a he's like an egg He's he's a shell, he's the white, and he's the yoke. And what, what that's saying is he's three separate things. So this this view would actually believe it's it's actually three gods. It's not just one god, it's three gods. And so I've used the egg illustration. Third century heresy right there. I should have handed them a stone. It just hit me. You know. So so this is this this is how this is how doctrine is formed, it's because these these beliefs were popping up and they're like oh oh here's here's a way to explain it and they're going well when you emphasize unity and diversity and you deny equality you're 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 moving away from the what what, what scripture teaches and actually anytime you try and solve this tension perfectly you venture into heresy mm-hmm. is how this works and so um, when when other groups that want to attack what we believe we have to come back to scripture and say okay god is presented as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's here's what the orthodox definition was defined as. One God, is unity, who who eternally exists in three different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's diversity, all of whom are fully God, all of whom are equal. And of course that's equality. So this is how the church had to kind of come together and say, this is what we believe. And, and like you said this oneness Pentecostal group is, is a Christian group they just they believe in modalism they believe that it's, it's one God he just has three different names three different forms sometimes he shows up as Father sometimes he shows up as Son sometimes the Spirit and, and we believe that's not the way the Bible teaches so that's a short explanation again anyway there's, there's tons more can thank you it real quick please. this
4: is, the, this is about the only way you can
1: do it actually
4: the only way that you can draw it is this way. This is how the early church did it. Is They said there is God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Father is God, Spirit is God, Son is God, Father is not Son, Son is not Spirit, Son is not Father. And that's about the, that's, if you Google Trinity images, yeah. you'll see a, a fancy kind of a picture of yeah. this. And that's about the only, when I say the only way, I'm not that you couldn't even add more, but that's exactly <coughs> what you said. Yeah. And then once you start getting into it, you'll slip into one of the three major heresies. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like I said, Google uh,
1: Orthodox. Trinity yeah. images. images. And like you'll, you'll see it. It's, yep.
4: it's, it's, it's actually kind of a neat little picture. And that's how the church began to draw it. And they just said, beyond that, we don't know. So you look at every major cult, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, all of that, and they, they, they blow this. Yep.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: yep. It's that's why we still A lot of it is. It's, it's risen. <laughs> A lot of it is, those thing, the reason they blow it is because they're trying to give the answer where the church hasn't had an answer. Yep. They're trying to resolve yep. the tension. Yep. 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 They're trying to
3: so solve
1: it,
0: yep. Yep. And, it so. be, and it can't be solved. The
4: other comparison I love to use, which isn't necessarily about God, but it's that some things are too complicated to explain. So is light a wave or a particle? It's both. So how? How? It can't be both. Yeah, I know it can't be both. I'm just saying it is. So I, it's again, not, don't use light as an example of how God works, but there are certain things we don't understand how two things can be the same thing at once.
0: Good. Good. All right. Let's let's see the next one real quick. These are two that were kind of together in, in the same category on spiritual growth. We may hit one and then and maybe try and get to another one later. The first one is day to day. What should my life with God look like? And the second, and this is, this is an important one, how do you break a sin cycle? How do you, when you're stuck in this pattern of sin feel bad, repent, um, get things right, then do that all over again and over again? How do you, how do you break out of that? So we asked Morgan to kind of think about this one.
5: Um, <clears throat> so it's a little bit different type of a question <laughs> than what Scott answers because it's not as informational and it's a little bit more yeah. uh, how-to, practical kind of thing. So, this is called sanctification, to be set apart and to grow in your relationship with God. Um, that's what spiritual growth leads to. And so, um, whenever we talk about this idea of how to break a sin cycle, I'll just start with that one. <clears throat> I think there are some key things you have to go, go to immediately, <coughs> and I think the important thing is to do it in community. So, uh, that's important, so remember that, community. Um, but I think that you need to specifically look at your identity and what you're, who you are in Christ. I think that's really, really important. So Romans um, 6, 7, and 8 is a really imp- important place to go. You can look in Ephesians and Galatians and most of the New Testament um, to find out who you are in Christ. Um, and whenever you understand that, then you begin to realize that you actually can be holy, that um, there is a holy, the Holy Spirit is living in you and that um, Christ has paid in full your sin and so you are actually enabled to live a life of holiness that's a possibility so it's no longer a I'm trying to stay away from it's trying I'm trying to pursue this other thing because I know it's a possibility so that helps a a switch in your mind I think Um, instead of not listening to bad songs (laughs) I just choose to listen to um, songs that glorify God and, and draw me closer to God and so it's a different see how that's different and so I, that's one thing. The other thing I would tell you is that you have to have accountability. If it really is a cycle in your life and you really are feeling that, um, we did a repent and believe series a few weeks ago and that's what it reminds me a lot of is you feel a lot of regret and shame and guilt and you want to get out of this thing, but then you you do the same sin again and again and again, and you're just stuck in this rut um, most likely you're keeping that to yourself or the person you're telling isn't asking you about it. So you need to find someone that's going to question you about it and talk to you about it and ask you about it. And maybe even a small a small group of people. Um, I wouldn't say just your peers. I would say to bring in other people. Um, and so I think that really helps because we know that sin um, kind of flourishes in secret and in darkness. And that whenever a light is shed on that, whenever truth is shed on that, that it exposes the the darkness and it exposes the sin. And so it will help you, I think, see your sin for what it really is instead of seeing it as something that you know is wrong and you feel kind of guilty, but you still are drawn back to it because no one knows about it. There's something different. When someone knows about my sin and can call me on it, I see it for the ugliness that it is when I don't see that when it's just me knowing about it. So those are the two biggest things I would tell you is just... um, Really, really, really focus on your identity in Christ and his spirit in you. And then um, also pull in other people that also understand and follow God. So um, that's pretty important. <laughs> don't just talk to your roommate about it. If they don't love Jesus, that's, that won't help you. Um, and then, Or don't talk to someone that loves Jesus that's not going to call you on it. Because that won't help you either. So um, the, other, the other one, day-to-day... What should my life with God look like? There's a few things I think that you should be in fellowship with Him every day, and I uh, and I think that looks a lot of different ways. We've been talking about this a little bit um, as a half staff. I don't know how to explain that other than that. But um, there's somebody who's kind of struggling a little bit in just like personal quiet time with God, and I think that sometimes we. When we say, how should my relationship with God look every day, that's what we're asking. We're saying, so what should my quiet time look like? And I would just really challenge you that your walk with God should really encompass your whole day. And I think that it can. And I think that it's a, it's a very long, long, long process, and it changes, and you'll go through seasons because it is a relationship where you will feel really close to him, and then where you will be doing what he says because you are in a covenant relationship with him and it's your responsibility to do so. And then you might be just doing it because you're just so excited and grateful and you just want to do that. Um, so I think that there's going to be kind of a wave of... Uh, I think it's going to change. I think sometimes you will feel closest to him in worship sometimes you'll feel for me I love to study and I think because when I study um about my god I I fall more in love with him and I trust him more so my faith is strengthened and so I think that's why I love to study and I don't enjoy as much like if someone gives me a book that's like 300 you know 300 devos to read this year I don't I can't stick with one of those things it doesn't help me I'm like okay well that's great be happy today. You know, it doesn't speak to me like <laughs> studying does. Whenever I figure out who God is or I see him work in scripture, I'm just, what? Are you kidding me? And then I find myself thinking about him all day long, which is glorifying him. I mean, he's captured my thoughts all day. That's exciting to me. So, um, that's just one of the things I would encourage you with. The next, the only other thing I would tell you is I read this in, um, the whole in our holiness book by Kevin DeYoung it was really challenging and good for me. Um, And one of his last chapters was talking about this idea of just, so now what? And how do you kind of gauge this? And one of the things he said that I thought was really good is he said, don't take your spiritual weight every day. Don't check your spiritual weight every day. I don't know if you've ever seen The Biggest Loser. They don't check their weight every day. They're not allowed to check their weight except whenever it's a weigh-in. And they do that on purpose because sometimes you gain weight even though you're still doing the right things. And sometimes you um, lose a lot of weight, and you're shocked by that because you felt like it wasn't a good week. Things like that. And so they—he basically his point was: look at your life over, um, look at your spiritual life. And I look at so my relationship <laughs> with God over the last few months. Have in the last few months have I grown? Mm-hmm. Not not yesterday to today have I grown? What I will feel from that is just guilt and shame all the time because I'm going to be measuring myself every little. It's just like a. My, like a microscope on myself instead of going, man, yeah, six months ago I was different than who I am today. And my walk with God is different. And I am, I am more holy. And I am more like Christ than I was six months ago. And um, the warning with that is when you do that and you measure where you were six months ago, if you are not where you were six months ago, you can also see that you've slipped away that, that way better, I think. And you can stop kind of counting on who you used to be. It's kind of stop going, oh, yeah, man, that was just such an awesome time after that trip and or after that concert or after that whatever. And it was so great. And so stop living off of the past. It'll kind of show you where your trajectory is. So
1: That's good. those are the two things I'd say. I'll say, to piggyback <clears throat> off something she said, um, I would say don't set aside time for God. Don't set aside time for God. See, See, all of your time is god's time yeah and that really does change your perspective it's like okay i'll i'll give god 10 minutes this morning and the rest of the day is mine you know um this is where we talk about integrated faith it's this is a it's a realization that god is not just there for you in the morning when you wake up but when you have a cup of coffee or he's not just there for you when you go to bed and you have your jesus calling book he really wants (laughs) to be a part of all of your day and your decisions and the tests you take and the when you're with your friends and when you're playing sports and all that stuff. So But you wouldn't you don't argue you don't argue against a no. specific time and the word nope. in that it's just limited yep. to that or something, yep. right? I just I mean, it's it's more of a shocking statement. Yeah. Don't set aside yeah. time for God. <laughs> what? You're a pastor, you're supposed to say that. And, and I'm 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 using it just yep. to go, wake up and realize all of all of your day is his time. Yeah.
5: You're not your own, but and you've been bought. Yeah. Right?
1: And then I think it frees you to go, man, I get to get up and spend time with him in the morning, some some intentional time in his word, and then I'm going to spend time with him as I'm getting ready for school, and then I'm going to spend time with him as I'm walking to class, and then, you know, so it's just a different way of thinking about it.
4: I think it's also good to recognize that there's different degrees of intimacy, you know, and I I like to be reminded that, like, all of marriage is not sex, and all of marriage is not doing the dishes, Mm -hmm. and all of marriage is not going to work and providing for my family, like, all of those things are marriage. And I would even say that's why you almost try to find certain degrees of texture as well in your life. And if all you know is doing the dishes, then don't be surprised if you hate your relationship. And if all you know or if all you want and you're not happy unless you're in... I mean, I, I meet very spiritually immature people who only know to feel alive when they are the most intimate with God. Yeah, and That's just immature. It's like, no, recognize going back to the whole day thing, and then try to build different levels of texture in your life. When are you, and then try to look at where that, but don't always try to create intimacy out of, like, you Mm -hmm. know, you're just like that needy, let's go on another date. Let's define this relationship again. It's the like. Go away. You're such a loser.
1: That's very encouraging. (laughs) That's what a girl told me but then I married her
5: <laughs> yeah, she has to go on dates with
1: you yep she we don't go on
5: every day is a big <laughs> all
0: right um, good. good ending to that one I think um, we're going to try and finish every one of these questions with loser at some point in there just to kind of get angsty hey can you change the, name of the oh, this is, There we go. Guess who <laughs> <laughs> This one believe <laughs> it or not has been trimmed down quite a bit. Okay. <laughs> we know that the Lord is a of sexual immorality. And all kinds of okay. other fornications. Okay, uh, <laughs> we know that God
3: is opposed
0: to sexual immorality in all of its variations. But how do we separate sexual immorality from culture, and from or uh, sexual immorality of the culture from actual biblical standards? We see clearly in Scripture that adultery, homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, etc., are forbidden. But what about cultural vices such as pedophilia, polygamy, and cohabitation? There are no clear command you guys still tracking with this? <laughs> there are no clear commands against these and cultural standards have shifted over time on many of these. For example, polygamy used to be more acceptable, now it is not. Cohabitation is just the opposite in that it used to be heavily frowned upon and now it's really almost expected in this culture. Um, how are we to make sense of this? And I know there are many of you saying, "Amen, how are we to make sense of this um, the, the question the question just to kind of clarify and boil down um, the question is how do we know if if the Bible doesn't give a specific prohibition against it, how do we know that some of our standards in morality, specifically in sexual immorality here, are not tied to our culture for a long time there there were some cultures for the back that did not look down on polygamy, and it seemed fine. How do we know that that didn't shift, and how do we know we won't shift back to that? There's some that didn't, or for a long time, pedophilia has been looked down on. There are parts of the world where that's actually starting to open up again, and people are not seeing that as a bad thing. How do we know? And the Bible doesn't give any specific um, things against it. So when the Bible doesn't speak directly against something... Are, do we just go with the culture, or how do we work through those things? I, I, I like this question, actually, because it's rooted in a deeper issue, which is, what is the Bible for? And, like, how do we read it? What's, what's its purpose? Because this is actually, um, by the way, I'll, I'll get to explain that in just a second, but this is actually one of the um, major arguments that's being used in the homosexuality debate right now is this idea of Jesus never, ever speaks against homosexuality so why is it that we as Christians are spending our time doing that? Jesus never prohibited it. So, so why do you as a church? Um, now, never mind, uh, never mind the fact that I actually think he did speak against it. Um, <laughs> and I actually believe that um, his, the Apostle Paul, uh, uh, who speaks under his inspiration and authority, speaks against it. And those are different discussions for like another another section maybe later on. Um, but even setting that aside, what this gets at, I believe, is how do we read the Bible and what is it there for? I think that people who read the Bible this way, the Bible does not speak against it. Jesus doesn't say anything against it, so therefore it's free game. Are misreading and misunderstanding what it's for. It's whether or not they would see this or say this or not. They are reading the Bible as though it is a long list of Rules and prohibitions, um, a moral guide, and therefore, since it's a long list, if if one specific rule doesn't make it in the list, I guess we can do that. Jesus doesn't speak against this; the Bible doesn't speak against this. So, since it didn't make it in the rule book, I guess it's I guess it's okay. But, but that's not the way the Bible is written, and you guys know that. Um, that the Bible is primarily written, I believe, to convey to us truth about who God is and what God is doing, what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do. And, and so it's specifically showing that. And then, of course, under that umbrella, you get, all, you get all kinds of other things, like who we are in light of that, of who he is and what he's done, how our lives are designed to live with him. And so, yes, there are rules in there, but all of those are built around <laughs> what does it look like to align ourselves with those truths about God? What does it look like to align ourselves with the way that he's designed These things. So, what the Bible is describing when it comes to rules and prohibitions is, I believe, um, what human flourishing is supposed to look like. What brings God the most glory and us the most enjoyment in life. Um, So, for example, you will not find in the Bible any verse that says, "Thou shalt not smoke crack." Right? (laughs) Okay. You won't find it there. But like, we can get a pretty we can get a pretty good idea when we read the scriptures. And understand the way life is described and the way it's supposed to be lived out. That that, like addiction to drugs doesn't fit in that. It doesn't fit in that system. Let me give you one more example and then I'll give my answer to this question. In Matthew 19, when the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, What what do you say about divorce? Is that lawful for us or not? Jesus does not simply just say, You can't do it. No, it's bad. That's the rule. So you're stuck with each other. Okay? (laughs) Deal with it. That's, that's, that's the rule of no doing it. It's the it's wrong thing to do. That's not, that's not where Jesus goes directly. What Jesus takes them to is the beginning and what the design was. Mm. And he says, It's written that in the beginning God created them male and female, and then they were to be united. It was God's purpose they would be united and become one flesh. And then he says, So what God has placed together, let not man separate or tear apart. The, the goal is... The greatest amount of glory to God and joy comes from the unity of these two people. So why would you, why would you tear that apart? Where is the glory to him and where is the joy for you in that? And, and, and that is what sin is, is moving against that design. So what he takes you to is this is what it looks like. Um, so now in an answer to this. The Bible speaks about sexuality a, a, a lot, actually. Speaks to it quite mm-hmm. a bit. And and constantly speaks about it actually in very positive terms as though it is a gift, as though it is a beautiful thing. Very first command in the Bible you can actually say is have sex, all right? Be fruitful and multiply. The first thing that God says to them. And Adam said, Amen. And lo, it was so. And and so and and so this is the so it speaks about a lot. However, in every situation, um, Without exception, every time sexuality is spoken of as a beautiful and good thing, it is always in the context of a man and a woman in a covenant marriage. Mm-hmm. And we never get, so we never get any hint of, of health or beauty or God's design and the way that everything was supposed to work in any other context of romance or sexuality. And so when we can look through these things, does the Bible speak directly against pedophilia? I don't have to have a verse. Mm -hmm. I can say, does that match up with the design that the Bible goes to over and over and over again? Does the Bible speak against homosexuality? Yes, I believe it does. I know it does. But even if it didn't, I get to ask this question. Does that match up with the way the Bible describes the joy of what marriage ought to be and the design that fits God and His nature over and over and over again. And that's how I run through these questions. It's not, can I find a verse that says, yay or nay? But how does this line up with the picture that is described over in, in, in Scripture again? And that's where we, no matter how the culture shifts in any one of these areas, we, we overlay these things on top of God's Word and see if it fits into that. And, and that's how we work through those things. I don't know if there's anything that would be added onto that, but... Um, yeah, I'll just, we'll wrap up there and, and and move on to our next question. I come from a Christian family that recently moved to a new town, but despite having a few months to look around, they still haven't really tried to find a church. As their child, I don't feel it is my place to confront my parents about this. What should I do? Jim? Yeah. <laughs>
4: Um, you know I get this actually I get this question a lot um, because when, when we talk about this as a staff I've, I've dealt with a number' I don't, when I say you, I mean kind of your age group, where all of a sudden you look at your mom and dad who have been your like your spiritual leaders for most of your life, at least many of you, maybe not not all but many of you, and then you go away to either college or some other kind of experience, and then you go back and you realize, wow, in a very short period of time, I outgrew my parents. My, my commitment, my, uh, um, I, would, I would even say, like, the, the growth that I've gone through. And so now I really care about being part of the body of Christ. I'm listening to what Morgan just said. And then I go on, to, I talk to my mom, who's been leading me now, you know, all the way up until 18. And now, after I've got this bigger picture, I have no idea what to do. So, have any of you ever experienced the pain of realizing mom and dad really aren't very committed to Jesus, and now you are, so what do you do? And I would say this. I would say, number one, um, you don't get the option of just doing nothing. I'm not a big fan of do nothing. So um, I think that the, the step number one is not, should I do something or not? No, you need to do something. So the answer is yes, you have to do something. The second piece I would say is, so then what do you do? And that is where... It's almost too big to try to explain. It really depends on I would ask questions like this is, you know, Bree, do you believe that your parents would respond positively or negatively to where you're at? Because for example, if you were a Hellion and then you went away to college, met Scott and Drew and Morgan and became like Jesus and then came back, your mom and dad are gonna be going seriously? You're gonna come and talk to me, mister Mr. Prodigal or Mrs. Prodigal. You're gonna now all of a sudden kind of take this yeah, I'll tell you what, let's give it some more time. So if you've been living rebelliously, find Jesus your freshman year, come back and try to act like Mother Teresa. It, they may not, they may not be able to respond to you. See what I'm saying? So there's so many variables. So I, I what, what I've actually always tried to do is to engage in spiritual conversations, no matter where they're at. Okay, and so if I were you, and, and you were dealing with that tension, and I would even say this. Every one of us is dealing with that tension to some degree, okay? A couple of years ago, I went home to do a wedding, and I'm sitting down with my mom and dad. My mom and dad, strong believers, very many, for, uh, for a lot of years, very much my mentor and my, you know, people I looked up to, my mom, this wonderful servant, my dad, profoundly dedicated to who Jesus Christ is, um, but they're old, right? They're in their mid-80s, and they've got problems, and so I looked at him. I was there. I was home to do a wedding, and I just looked at my mom and dad. And this is a spiritual issue, so it's not going to a church, but I'll, I'll close with that. But I just looked at my mom and dad, and I said, You guys do know that you're going to be dead soon, and you're going to see Jesus. And if you don't mind, I'd like to just share with you some things that if I were you, I would want to do better at. You know, Dad, sometimes you can. And I started giving some advice. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we started that argument at about 9.30 at night. You know my family. Uh, We finished it. Yeah, you know my dad. We finished it around 3 to 4 in the morning. (laughs) And so it went up and down. It truly went up and down. Okay? But I just remember thinking, I've got to say something. And and here's my point. I learned that I needed to stay in the conversation. That it got ugly. um, That it got, who are you to tell me? And I said, listen, and I had to backtrack a little bit and kind of work my way through it. But I felt like I needed to say something. And what I ended up finding out from my parents' perspective, is that we're able to hear me. It just took about six hours (laughs) to get it across. And I remember as I was even processing that, realizing probably should have had this conversation a long time ago. (coughs) They even spoke truth into my life in terms of some areas where I could have even done a better job. So it was literally a little bit of this give and take. Okay? And I just, walking away from that experience, I thought that was just really, 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 really helpful. In terms of the 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 piece of, you know, my parents aren't finding a church, I would say this, you are not going to be your parents' spiritual mentor immediately. I mean, that that is pro is, I've seen it though, I've seen college students be this way. Um, they come away to college and their mom see this new person and your mom is now wanting you to lead her. And I've seen that happen. I didn't even say that you need to be a little careful with that. Um, but I would say take somebody else, get, some, so get someone like Morgan or Scott or Drew or somebody else and say, listen, like, how do I navigate the, the specifics of that? Because the danger is is that you're the picture of spirituality, and so you want them to do exactly what you do. Mm-hmm. So you're asking them, hey, do you have a table group at your church? Maybe that's what you need. And your parents are like, what? So it's, it's a complicated thing to, to, to walk through. Um, and I would even say this, I mean, you've got to try to figure out, uh, when you, when you challenge them to go and to find a church, I mean, just think about it. Uh, do you, can you help them through even the things that they've taught you guys about what it actually means to be part of a, to, of a local church? So I would try to, to walk them through a lot of the same steps that you've walked through. If we're dealing with this very specific question, I would give them room to make mistakes and even give them room to disagree I would I would be fine walking away and realizing, yeah, I love you guys, but I'm not pleased with where you're at, and we'll come back and we'll have this conversation later. So don't try to become the spiritual fix to your mom and dad. Be someone to be, give witness to what Jesus Christ is doing in your life. Talk about the experiences that you're you've been having, and trust the Spirit to lead them to any other decisions that they need to kind of walk through. So
0: that's good. It's good in all of these areas, and, and Jim just kind of touched on it. But this is with your parents. This is with anybody. Humility is always so yeah. key. That's always, yes, yes, yes. Um, To be able to recognize, by the way, you may have surpassed them, but um, like just recognize that wasn't that like that wasn't you that caused you to pass them, mm-hmm. right? Like like all of this is grace, and all of this is the Spirit's work in us as we are as we're working in cooperation mm-hmm. with Him. And yes, there is effort on your part, but um, but that we. Um, we recognize His his grace at work in us and, and plead with Him to do the, th- the same thing in those around us. So, I love that.
4: Yeah, one last thing is, I was thinking of a good friend of mine, and I actually had to deal with this with my own wife. My <laughs> wife's parents kind of thought they were, well, it's complicated. Um, they think they're more spiritual than they really are.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And one of the ways that this comes out in terms of their shallowness is that, the body of Christ is still kind of there to do stuff for them. And so they're really, really big on, yeah, we didn't go to church today because we were like with each other at McDonald's and we had a coffee and, and it was like our church.
5: <coughs> what?
4: Gee, three? Like, I mean, so whenever, when, when I walked into that family relationship, I just, I talked to my wife and I said, like, we're going to make it very, very clear that we don't do that. And that sometimes it'll create some real tension. So when we're over at, our, at their house on a Sunday, and they're like, hey, we're just going to do church in our kitchen today. Andrea and I would say, great, we'll be down the street at a real church. Love you guys. No, we want you to stay. And we, we basically found whatever it is that there's like that bone of contention, we decided to like pick at the bone. <laughs> right? But not in a rude way, but just we, we made sure if they see us, if they see us kind of slipping into that whatever area of shallowness that exists, that is one of the worst things that can possibly happen. And so however your parents are failing spiritually, I would say it's important for you with humility to demonstrate faithfulness in that one area where they're failing. That's cool.
0: That's very good. Um, we'll take just a quick break and then we'll come back and do kind of a lightning round thing, if we, if you will, before kind of opening up to, to some of your questions. So, take a minute or two, stretch. <laughs> what well, we are... Uh, in just a bit here, we're going to kind of open it up for you to ask some questions. So um, be kind of ready with those. What we want to do real quick is there are a few questions that popped up that we thought, you know, I think we can answer those really quickly. And so the goal is with these next one is, is in something like three minutes or less, uh, maybe even two, to just try and knock some of these out. So we want to cover uh, three of those, four of those, something like that real quick, and then... Uh, and then we'll get to some open questions. So, first one is this. Should a Christian keep guns around and use them in case of an intruder? Is it... This is only in Oklahoma. Is it...
3: Is it ever
0: okay to kill someone? Is it biblical? Is the death penalty biblical? Should I get my concealed carry to protect
3: myself?
1: So... Okay, I'm going to tackle this one. and I can answer it in one sentence, but I'm going, to, I'm going to explain the sentence. This is in all seriousness. If you can own and shoot a gun for the glory of God, <laughs> then own and shoot a gun. That, that would be my answer. If you can do it for the glory of God, then yes. And so let me back up to God created us to be in relation with Him and from that relationship to, to represent Him and to reveal Him wherever we go. He says, be fruitful and multiply. He says, Fill the earth and subdue it. Mm-hmm. To rule over it. So we are. He, he, he commissioned us in, in, as his children to as in relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And, and this was further um, fulfilled in the Great Commission. But but we 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 go out and we seek to, to bring glory to God wherever we go, using anything and everything we have. Integrated faith. And so, um, so the the Bible describes. That the Bible also describes that um, we were bought with a price, yes. and His name is Jesus. Yes. The Bible says that we are to live sacrificially, like Jesus. The Bible also says um, that uh, that ultimately I- I'm to love my brother, and, and that yet the Bible also describes that this world is a dark place, and that there are evil people who are seeking to to destroy and by by the enemy's influence, seeking to destroy. What God has is doing, and so I love the International Justice Mission because they have a they have a very strategic plan when it comes to dealing with bullies at the highest level. Okay, you talk about bullies at the highest level, um, wicked, evil people who are killing kids and killing people and 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 not not blinking an eye, and they have a very strategic way of dealing with them, and and they're. You know these people. Their their main way of operating is is intimidation, is fear, is violence, is all these things. And so they say we're gonna we're gonna attack you um, with the law. We're gonna go after you in every way possible. But in the end, we're gonna defend justice. We're gonna seek after justice. So that's a short answer. That's a shorter answer to this. To the short shortest answer, which is yes, if you can do it for the glory of God. And I say if someone's intruding in your house. If you can shoot him in the kneecap to slow him down, go for the kneecap. I mean, why you gotta, why you gotta shoot him in the heart or the face? Just <laughs> slow them down. So, so if you're gonna own a gun, learn how to shoot it with precision, so you know where to shoot them so you don't kill him, and then you can share the gospel with him in the hospital. Yes. There you go. To hey, hey,
2: Justin, go
3: to the good end.
2: Quick.
1: Here it is.
3: This is a, this
0: is a good one. Is it my duty to get involved in arguments that arise when people voice their atheist opinions? Is it also my duty to call out sin, or should we be more of a love-them-to-Jesus mindset? Jim. Yeah. Um,
4: I would say this. I would say that too many of us, again, go go to the wrong... Uh, or or get stuck in one extreme or the other. You only know how to do nothing and to pretend you're loving them, which is really just say nothing, uh, which gives this blanket idea that everything is okay. And so that's all we ever do. And then there's the rest of us that kind of believe that we are the spiritual police and we need to stop everybody and we need to fix everybody. And that usually means that you're my son. And so when 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 you find yourself navigating through both of them, neither of them need discernment. If you, if you want to say nothing or if you want to attack everybody, you need zero discernment. That's one of my lessons that I, I really like, is that abuse and abstinence on any issue are always easy to do. Like, I don't need the Holy Spirit. Attack everybody, attack nobody. Done. And so, therefore, you, you need to ask some questions going back to where I've been. Do I feel called by the Holy Spirit to address this issue? Is this a place where I have authority, where I need to speak up? So if I'm teaching a class and something begins to happen and people are watching me to see is Jim going to confront this sin and I don't, then I have failed an authority that I was supposed to enact upon. And so you really have to ask a number of different questions as you go, as you go into this. But I would say this, many of you feel guilty about not um, confronting somebody in a, a sociology class or a philosophy class or a science class um, and I would say I wouldn't if I were you. There have been many, 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 many times um, when someone drops an F-bomb near me, I don't feel like I need to stop and explain to them about that. <laughs> but I'm not afraid to. But I don't feel like I need to stop everybody. I don't feel like I need to, if I, if I was taking a class and somebody said something that was even against Jesus, I, I wouldn't necessarily feel like, I have to say something. I would, I would weigh out all these other things. In terms of trying to discern whether or not I should or whether I shouldn't. And I would say, be careful being really utilitarian. Meaning, only say it if you know that it will be effective. No, sometimes I need to say it if they're all going to laugh at me. So, I I don't like any kind of formula that says always or never. Or always say it if you know they're going to do this. No, sometimes I need to say it. And if Dalton just laughs at me, I still needed to stand up for it. And if you got it or not. Or vice versa. And so... Look for ways to become more and more dependent on the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. on when to say stuff. And, and, and I would just say the biggest thing I've seen with people of your age is I don't think you need to attack everything. I think um, if you hear about somebody drinking underage or touching someone else inappropriately, weigh it out. Like discern it out and ask, am I being a coward or am I not being? A- like am I just not saying something because I'm a coward? Maybe I need to say something then. And so you have to navigate um, each situation. Um,
0: with, that's all I'd answer. That. That's good. That's really good. Um, let me. Th- there's a couple more that we can go to if we if we if we need to or if we have time. But let me kind of take this moment to open it up. And is there anything on on your mind or on your heart that you want to ask? <coughs> Elena. Hi. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm going
2: home soon, and I'm kind of nervous. Um, and one of the things I'm nervous about is kind of losing whatever growth I do have here, because, like, our church home is kind of, like, sleepy, and... just uh, sleepy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really feel like I'm growing there, but I also don't have my license yet to go somewhere else. But also, like, um, like I don't have the greatest relationship with my mom. I feel like um, we... She constantly, like, looks at everything I'm doing, and it's like I can't make her happy no matter what I do, and my dad's not a Christian, so I'm kind of, like, how do I, how do I honor my parents in this, and how do I keep growing, like, I feel like I'm walking a tightrope, but.
0: Are you asking specifically when it comes to how do you honor your parents, are you asking, as far as. Should I go to the church with my mom, or or just go to find a different place, or is it just kind of in general? Like no, what specifically? What? Like, how do
2: I handle how do I handle a disagreement with my parents? Because that's gonna happen. I know it will. Well. And and how at the same time do I keep growing as a Christian, even though the temptation and the backslide will be.
1: Mm-hmm. I'll 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 say. Um, one with humility is how you have a disagreement with your family, seeking understanding and you know what they're trying to get across to you, listening to them, um, but also being able to speak truth and share what's going on in your in your heart and mind and life. Um, but in terms of growing, I mean, God uses those things especially as catalysts for growth. And so, if you're seeking Him help his help to help you navigate this relationship with your parents then you're growing then you're going to be growing if you if you get done with an argument you're really upset and you call a friend and you're, you ex- you express to Kelsey or to somebody hey this is what happened, and pray for me that's growing um, if you seek the scriptures because you need you need to know what Jesus says about or you need to know how God can comfort that's growing and so and, and even I would say because of the situation you're in because you're going to a church mm-hmm. Not because you you necessarily want to, but that's where your mom's taken. You can't go anywhere else. See that as God's provision. Like that's where God wants you, and so then start to look for what He has for you there, and and what you can hear from him. I think I could go to to almost any church with, and if this is where God has me, and go, okay, hey God, what do you want me? To, what do you want me to learn? I don't care if I'm going to false. I don't care if it's Beth... What what? Ethel on the organ. Um, I was going to say Beth Moore. Uh, I was going to say, Beth. Sorry, Beth. I say uh, Ethel. Margaret. Ethel Moore. Ethel Moore uh, on the organ. Um, you know, listen to the words and reflect on the word. I mean, there's a lot that you can do to continue growing. So growth isn't really the issue if you're seeking God for help through all this. And growth looks like a lot of things. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a big thing to remember. It's not just sitting in a room like this with other people are hearing the Bible taught the way we're teaching it. There's just lots of ways.
4: And I'd even I challenge you to think in terms of long term and short term, right? So what you're describing is a bad long term answer. Yeah. But it's a totally normal short term answer. Yeah. I got to be at Sunnybrook all summer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well,
1: that's not true. I'm leaving a bunch. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sure. laughs> I was say, when are you ever there? Yeah, exactly. For a long good time. Nice. A sure.
6: Okay, um, I have a Catholic roommate, and she and I have had several conversations this year about um, authorities in the church mm. and how um, she trusts them and in their interpretation of the Bible, and that's how it's always been, and that's how it always will be, and it's never changed. Um, And then when I tried to explain to her how we interpret the Bible and I went back to, you know, they learn it from, you know, this way and pastors have gone before them. And she looks at that and it kind of realizes that we're not all in the same denomination. There's not like a tradition of authority. I have found it really hard to defend um, my own authorities in interpretation of the Bible. And I've even come across this conflict with my mother and how she likes to interpret things, and how I believe that things should be interpreted. Um, and so, h- h- could you just do a quick overview of like why we believe, how we interpret the Bible, how that's come to be, and like... <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think it's pretty obvious that Morgan
1: should take this <laughs>
2: Well, I,
5: I have a little answer. Morgan's it's not a big it. answer, but there's, a, there's so many places you could go with that. The biggest thing that we learn... Um, well that I've learned, I guess, is just that context is like the is the biggest thing. Just like whenever he was talking Sounds about like sexual... yeah, maybe like context is key or something. I don't know. <laughs> like um whenever he's talking about sexuality or whenever I'm thinking about um spiritual growth or whenever um he's talking about how we understand the identity of God, right? Um we all of those are scripture it's all. It's like it's a to, it's a total scripture package. It's not a here's this verse, here's this verse, here's this verse. So I think context is a big deal, and that's not just. I think, you know, in this book, it's a big deal. I think if you if you do some um, research on like geographically understanding and historically what the customs were, and all I think all those are part of the context. And then the other thing that they talk about a lot is what was the intended meaning of the author, which I think you can find through understanding context a lot of times. So. A, they, an example that would be a simple one would be like a stop sign. Um, a stop sign is is a stop sign. It means stop. <laughs> Jim can interpret it as it means go. He will get a ticket because the intended purpose of the stop sign being there is for you to stop. And so the person that put it there intended you to stop. Mm-hmm. And so, every, I you know that that's another thing is the off, the idea of the author's intended meaning. You, you go ahead.
1: And yeah, and you're 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 actually talk you're talking about. Um, how Catholicism interprets Scripture and versus how Protestants interpret mm-hmm. or even evangelicals, which is different. And, and so in, in this theology class which I think you took the yeah. stage of truth, yeah. right So that's where, that's where all this is yeah. is one. So when we say stage of truth, what we mean is um, if you picture on a stage several key things like scripture like history, church history, like um, personal experience, uh, what are the others? Those are the big three: rationality, rational. So yeah. Um, I've always thought that was experience too, but anyway. So so, whichever one is closest to the front, let's say. So for for evangelicals, for us typically, um, it is it is scripture. It is um, scripture would be up front, and how we understand how we understand scripture is exactly what Morgan described. Context and author's intended meaning—that's how we, because we want to seek what the author intended, because that's why God wrote. We believe God wrote it, and then behind, behind that is tradition and experience uh, and rational rationality. All that would be kind of included in that. And so, the Catholic Church would have tradition up front, right? They have they have tradition beside scripture. Tradition. Mm-hmm. And scripture they, they have them, They have them as twins. Okay. They, they they would argue they're TMS so they're right beside each other at the front of the stage of truth so what, when we say tradition what we mean is how has church history interpreted the scripture that's the way we interpret it all the time every time and 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 there's some great stuff to that because it's it can be unifying because it's like okay it's settled I don't have I don't get to decide what this means mm-hmm. um, but the, well I don't know if we have time to get into the history of Protestant movement and all, how, how this all came about. but The thing I always go back to, Kelsey, is I always ask the question,
4: so when push comes to shove, what's right? Right? Yeah. And your roommate will say what? Whatever
1: the Pope says. Yeah, right. Okay. So the
4: Pope's never been wrong. And the answer to that is, no, they have been wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, so then what what do you do when the Pope is So So there's a little bit of a chicken and an egg problem. Mm-hmm. The church interprets the Bible, and the Bible creates the church. So I get that there's a connection. But we as Protestants say that when push comes to shove, Scripture informs all other things. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, no, the church informs it. And then I say, that's where I fundamentally disagree with you. I believe that that church leaders can be wrong. You believe church leaders cannot be wrong. And therefore, we have a different epistemology. Mm-hmm. We have a different basis. And so I know it's it, this. It, this is still... Tons could be said after this, but in a nutshell, what is at the very front of your stage of truth? And she would put either if she's really thinking through it, she would put tradition beside scripture because that's the that's the typical Catholic one. Luther argued that that's really not true because you see tradition or scripture through the lens of tradition, so that he would say you put in tradition first and then say, "Yep." Yeah, and this is what I'm okay with. Yeah, I just I disagree with you, and I leave it. I just—I believe scripture is first and foremost, and I get the complexity of what
1: I just said to you. Yeah, just yeah, pick your problems is really yep. what it is. Yep. Which problem do you want?
5: And then, if you agree on the scripture, that's when you go into this idea. So, then, how do you interpret scripture? What does scripture actually say? You know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Coming back here, Alvin. <coughs> um,
3: so just kind of piggyback on uh, what about a sleepy church, so this summer most of us are going to be away, and uh, most of us are probably going to go back to the hometown or something, and we were to visit a church that we have been visiting growing up, and now that we are in Stillwater and there are great church, church movements here, and when we go back we realize that, all well, the church we have been visiting when we were growing up is sleepy right now. How do we address
4: that with the leadership or the authority
3: of the church? Like meeting
4: people like you guys. How do you tell it like, as is to you guys? Like, How do you do that? Just give him Drew's number. And say... I just ask everybody why they can't be more like Drew and Scott. That's kind of what I do.
1: Here's, here's what I would do. Um, I would, I would ask to meet with them, meet with the leader, meet with the pastor, meet with whoever. Um, seek, seek, get to know them, you know, honor them in that, seek understanding. What, what, what motivates you in ministry? What do you, what do you get excited about? What are you excited about? I mean, just get to know his heart or her heart or whoever. Um, and, and, and try And try and start there and love them well. I mean, obviously, you can't do that with every church. And um, I've had I've had people come, come to me with that way, and l- let's say at, 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 on that side of it, okay, I've had people want to get together with me because they want to know what the church believes about. And usually they have, whenever I get that question, it's like, oh, great, here we go. You're going to want to yes. know about predestination, you're going to want to know, you know, and I've had extremes, I literally in two weeks I had one guy call and say that that we are totally wrong because we believe, one say, we, we don't believe one say while well, we save, or at least I did at the, I didn't at the church. I was, and then the other said, we, we are totally wrong for, um, he, actually he was saying, I was, I was in the middle. and he was they were, One was strong on one side and the other was strong on the other side. And I was an enemy to both of them. Um, and it was like not a helpful conversation because they were trying to check my theology to see if I had it all right. Like they had it right. And I uh, thought that wasn't helpful. If you want to get to know us, come meet with us. Hang out with us. Figure out what, what, what makes us tick. And and you'll you'll come to know. You know what motivates us. So I would I would say honor them in that way, and and just like Drew said, the lunch we had with the leaders or with the seniors, we had a lunch with seniors on Sunday, talking about this very thing: how to find a church, what kind of church. Um, sometimes you know, let's say let's say Sunday Brick is a B plus church, right? And there are other churches that may be like an A A church, but you may be somewhere where. The best church, the best church available to you, is a C minus, and that C minus church is going to be better than no church. Mm. So you you plug in, you love those people because they're God's people, and you seek to surrender yourself to them and serve them in that way. So
4: I love that the students that are from Stillwater go out and they're at these awesome churches, and then they come back and they let us know how we suck.
0: <laughs>
4: I, I mean, it, it really is kind of fun. I mean, I've got. One son that'll come back this summer and he kind of likes his church for x, y and z and i i I really kind of like hearing about it so i mean i think I think those kinds of conversations can be actually a lot of fun yep. and enjoyable um, I just you, you need to have the humility and yeah. hopefully that your your church leaders are excited about the fact that hopefully you found a church you're excited about here in Stillwater. you know that's what thrills me
5: yeah, I would just ask constantly be questioning yourself on are you asking. Are you wanting to talk to them to prove a point? Are you wanting to talk to them because you love, you love the people there?
2: You know.
3: Um, just because, like, you guys are talking about, it's better than no church. Um, I feel called right now, and I just since I was ten, to be a part of a, uh, well, I'll just say like the Peace Corps, and not um, ministry, like as a mission trip which has always been really hard to convey, I think, to church-going people. Like, my aunt, for instance, has always been like, well, why don't you find a missionary calling? Like, there's so many... And I'm not opposed to it. Like, trust me, I'm not like, no, like, I'm not going to be a missionary. But, um, I mean, it's just weird since 10. Like, it's just always been something that I've always been interested in. But with doing that, like, there won't be a church probably available. And if there is, like, that would be great. But how do you go about, I guess, communicating something like that where it's not very popular? Like, obviously going on a mission trip would be way more popular in the church but that's not where I've been called I've been called to be people who aren't Christians in all areas which is like terrifying um but then also just like how do you go to a a country where you probably won't have access to a church and I don't know like it scares me I'm so excited but like I mean it terrifies me so I don't okay (laughs) okay Whoever, I My car is just
1: right outside. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I think it's a good question because you're you're saying, you know, what if we go somewhere where there's not even a C minus, there's not even a deep, deep, there's no church, right? So I'm, I'm, you know, well, if if this is where God's leading you, then He's got a purpose and plan for it. So you you seek Him for, um, for what He's what He's got, and you pray for other believers to come into your life, and and uh, you seek what God has for you with them or with in that in that situation, but. Um, but God will sustain you in that. I, I trust and believe that. And as far as the the first part of that, um, this is Jim's one of Jim's favorite things. Let, let the truth be the problem. I just say I I feel called to do this. So what am I supposed to do other than what do I, what I feel called to do? Right. So. Who uh, who corrects you when you're when you got it wrong?
3: God. Wait.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
4: no, but your question like, Yeah, yeah, like I mean, like, like with like, a person
3: like who tells me that I'm wrong for doing P Square,
4: like no, no, no. But I'm saying right. like let's say down the road. Let's oh, say okay. let's say like I, I totally agree. Oh, I totally agree with Scott. Okay, right. three years down the road, though, okay. all of a sudden you're not making good choices and you're oh, tripping okay. and stumbling and falling. So what does your safety net look like? And I, and I don't even know if you have to answer it. I'm just saying,
1: Back home or, yeah, like, yeah.
4: I mean, that's the, the part that I, I, I totally love that. I mean, I, I, if you were my daughter, I would be excited for you. And then I would say, but you do know, like, we're going to be talking regularly. Like, I'm, I, I, you don't have to do these things, right. but they're not normal. Like, what you're doing is not normal, right. but that's not bad. It's just it's not the normal way in which it happens. But should you choose to go there? Should you choose to be a missionary in that context, then I would say be prepared. I mean, a greater level of maturity will be demanded of you. And so you're basically going into the deepest part of the pool. There's no lifeguards on duty, and you're going to want to swim there a lot. And I'm just saying you probably need to have a gut check occasionally. So I know, I know people who've done what you did, except they did it in Kabul, Afghanistan, after 9-11. And they had very intentional plans. Every six months, we fly out and we get help because if not, we could go crazy. And so it was that level of maturity that I really appreciated. So you just need to be thinking, not I can go everywhere and do what I want and everything is going to be okay because this is what I'm called to be. There there needs to be, I don't know if I want to say a backup, but there (laughs) needs to be like a rope tied to you. Mm -hmm. And you need to give somebody permission to say, I need you to pull this in occasionally And really do some checks. And the truth is, I would almost challenge you. And I don't know you at all. But um, I think I would challenge you to find someone that you really, 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 really trust. And this will be hard. And say, at any point in time when you are worried for my soul, you have the right to pull me out. Right? And if you can't find anybody, well then you're... Yeah, you're really in trouble. You're but, serious. yeah, but if you could find somebody that could do that, <laughs> if you could find somebody that could do that, I really think that would be like a real, a healthy, healthy,
1: healthy thing. And I, I and I think that's awesome. I just had a conversation with somebody who was talking about a a young woman who's going to go to a to a place. This is a missions organization. It's, they're going to send this girl. Uh, she's she's graduating, I think, from here. They're going to send her to a place where there's hardly any Christians. And and the the level of support and care that they are setting up, it's going to take a year or two for them to get all this in line for her to go. So what would be interesting is for you to talk to mission organizations and find out what, what do you do with, when you send somebody to this, these kinds of places mm-hmm. with no churches, what kind of support do you provide uh, for them, and then that would be a good plan for you to start setting up here because... Um, the way he was describing it, was we, he, he said, we've done this once before, and it was a disaster. She ended up being converted Muslim, <coughs> and she came back, and we thought she was going to stay, and she ended up trying to have a relationship with this guy and bring this guy over. And so that was, that was she, goes, she said, we learned our, our lesson, and this time we're going to make double sure, um, this is actually, I was talking to Brent Prentiss, um, that we're make double sure that the person we sent over there is going to be ready to go. She's going to have a level of support. We're going to have a plan in place, all that stuff. So, anyway. And even to be aware that you're in a dangerous place
4: would be helpful.
0: Let me read this real quick, and then we'll get one right over here afterwards. So let me, let me read this real quick, because this, this has been kind of the big event. Sometimes during my quiet times, I feel and hear the Lord speaking to me, but it feels like a foreign language to me. What are ways I create a better connection to understand His guidance? Um, so even to kind of in general this idea, of how, how do I how do I live in such a way that I am more able to hear and understand what God is speaking to me and saying to me?
5: I would say study His word. I <laughs>
4: yep, have said the exact same thing. yeah I, I think it's the most underestimated mm-hmm. is the I know God's voice because it lines up with what He has already said.
5: right
2: mm-hmm.
4: And so that's one of the big when we try to bypass that. by the way, I do have a copy of that <laughs> Jesus calling book. I didn't realize how dumb it was until I started reading it, but if um, somebody no, but they're not not intentionally. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how. <laughs>
0: um,
4: I would say I would say that the more that you the more that you study uh, what the known word of God is, i.e. His Word, then it's easier for you to discern whether or not it's true when you're hearing it without it being the written Word of God. So that's why I think that's critical.
0: Well, If I were kind of adding, I feel like we're kind of building these same things, saying the same thing. But I I have found in some ways, some ways I feel like God speaks to me is actually through like, is is direct like scriptures that have been kind of memorized up in here that have come at a specific time. I also feel like I discovered, and this is anecdotal so I can't, I can't mark this down and say this is the way it works exactly. But in my own life, one of the things I discovered is when I made a commitment some time ago that I'm doing what it takes to make sure I'm spending time with God and, and specifically in His Word on a regular basis. And I started getting up early. I discovered that I wasn't actually hearing tons from Him in those moments. That like as I was reading the Bible at 5.30 in the morning, wasn't just coming alive and off the page mm-hmm. to me, right? Um But then it was like I looked up one day, I started journaling, like I felt like I had these thoughts and I felt like God had been laying on me and I started just kind of writing out them. And I had to almost bullet point because there was so much. And it was one of those weird, I look back and I go, I can't remember a time when I felt like God was saying so much to me that I almost couldn't even keep up. You know, I'm trying to, I got to have it all on paper. And and I really do, I think I'm connecting that to um, this willingness inside of me to pursue him no matter what it takes, and to push things aside. And so even if in that moment as I'm reading God's Word, it's not I'm not getting something directly right at the moment, but that God is using His Word and He's using community and He's using His Spirit as I'm seeking Him and making every effort to do so. He's speaking to me in ways that, that I, I really can say that I don't think I had experienced, um, at least in some time, if, if maybe ever. So... Um, let me get over here real quick whenever I saw John pointing.
2: This, it was my question. Okay, come on. Okay. okay. Um, so, as of late, I have encountered some, what I would call, more charismatic believers, and yeah. I don't
0: think... <laughs> <laughs> did you just, did you meet Anthony last week? Uh,
2: okay. um, and I don't, we've talked about this before, um, and I don't think they're on the side of Go to a worship service and speak in tongues and not have an interpreter and just kind of have a really unorganized worship. Um, but they kind of talked about how, um, as believers, we should try to walk by the Spirit by, I guess, speaking with the Spirit in our own way and, like, in tongues. And, like, that's something that, as an individual believer, like, on your own, that you should be doing. And I'm just wondering, like, I guess, is that biblical? Is are we allowed to call on the spirit to do that? Is that a spiritual gift to be able to talk differently? I guess
1: prayer language is—is it, is it mentioned once the heavenly language?
4: Yeah. Well, I think it's fascinating. The apostle Paul says, "Do all speak in tongues?" And the implied in the Greek constructions, no.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So I'm always, I'm always, I, I have no problem with it. And then I always wonder, but why are you trying to make everybody else do it? I don't, I don't quite understand. I mean, truly, I'm, I don't understand it. It's just like. Um, I, I don't know if there's. Uh, there definitely doesn't seem to be the biblical admonition. For example, if we if we just read um, Galatians, Ephesians, Romans, I'll give you a lot of them. First and Second Thessalonians, we probably wouldn't get anything about that at all. First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and so it's it seems to be out of balance, is what I would argue. But I don't know. But I don't know if it's bad. So I just, I don't panic about it one way or the other, I guess. It just, it seems like the emphasis is kind of a yearning for something. It's a little bit, for me, it goes a little bit back to the intimacy question. It's when I feel most intimate. And I would go, oh, I kind of see that. It's like people that always, everything's a worship song. Right? So I kind of understand it, but I wonder, are you okay with other forms or other kinds? So it's the excessiveness that you seem to be describing that would make me kind of do a red flag. Not the idea in and of itself. Right? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, so like... Um, and then I would also tell you this. I've been amazed at the number of times where I think, are we saying the same thing, but you're just more excitable than me? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like my mother-in-law, just kind of going back to what drew my mother-in-law, just, oh, God just told me something. What? For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, whoever <laughs> is, is person, have everlasting life. Okay, anything else? Yes. And then she just... And I'm just thinking, I think if I just started talking like that, I mean, I might sound like you. Or I meet people, you know what the Lord just told me? Guess what the Lord just told me? Guess what the Lord just told me? And yet I I sometimes feel like the Lord tells me a lot. I just don't act like he does. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I wonder if it's a bit of a personality piece sometimes. And therefore I try to empathize with them. I try to kind of understand where they're coming from. And so I, I try to not make it into a fight. And I... I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I just, I really have spent a lot of time going. I bet you if I talked like, I bet you if I took everything I thought and said, I think the Lord told me, he'd be the same person.
1: <laughs> I have, I have, I have genuinely asked for the gift of tongues. Um, I think I was trying to count in my head at least twice, maybe three times in my life, and it's it's never happened. Um, but but I have brothers and sisters that. That it has, mm-hmm. and so it's awesome. I think so. I don't know if that helps you, but it's just it's just the, it's it's the. This is my experience, and everyone else should have the same experience that he's describing. That it's like <laughs> it's not actually not not scriptural, but
0: same. Here, I, I'm saying so. I go through seasons of kind of seeking that, and there's First Corinthians. He talks about eagerly desire the, the greater, greater gifts, gifts. Like you ought to. It's okay to pray for gifts and to seek after gifts, and so I take those. I pray. I do also remember that in the context Paul's saying don't worry so much about tongues and worry about greater gifts than that. It's kind of what he's saying in <laughs> prophecy. But in those moments I'm also going I know what you're saying Lord but man I really like that too. That would be so cool. Um but but it hasn't happened yet but I really do I think it's okay to like seek those things yep. and and say God I you know just just as Jesus says that like which of you, if, if your son asked for a fish, you'd give him a snake? No, you're going to give him good gifts, and, and your father knows how to give good gifts. And that's not a promise that he'll give everything. It's a promise that he's a father who knows what is good and, and, and does what's right in these things. And so I trust, I'll, I'll seek that some more. And if he does, wonderful. And if not, I'm going to use the gifts he's given me to serve and connect to him, you know? So,
2: Josh? <laughs> That's one day, so for some of us graduating and going into like um like a professional work environment, like we were meeting all these people that we want to have like a professional relationship with, but like we don't want to like not say anything about being a Christian or you know, that way when it comes up a conversation, like we still want to be able to have this conversation. Like, is there any advice you would have for like how do you like introduce yourself or? Not say, like, hello, I'm Josh, I'm Christian. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, make it a part of who you are. You do what Jim does.
1: Hey, you want to get to lunch? My name is Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get together. I'm I Jim. would say
4: this. How do you do it now? And I would say, if, I mean, if, you, if you're doing well at it, keep doing that. If you suck at it, change something. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I'm serious, because I really think it... I don't think there's much of a difference. I don't think... I don't, I don't think it's going to be like, now that I'm a lawyer, and now as I talk to other lawyers, we've got a different rule. Um, I, I think it would be very, very similar. And I would say, if you are good at that, if that is a kind of a natural thing that you're at, I would literally keep doing what you're doing and bear greater witness to who Christ is and what he has done in your life. And if, if that's something you've not done well at, then I would seek out other people, men particularly, in your line of work who do well at this and ask them how they do it seek wise counsel and say listen i know other teachers for example um, find other godly teachers and say how do you live out your faith in this work environment and follow and i would say for the most part follow their example the way god made you don't just don't just mimic but
1: follow their example like you this is also a unique time for you as you're transitioning from student to employee, um, to to be able to really understand why you are working and what why God has given you the ability to work, and so the theology of work, if you will, you know, so like Tim, Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor book would be a great resource for you to really understand. This is this is why I'm here. So you knowing why you're there is going to give you greater confidence to be yourself and. As a, as a follower of Jesus. I,
4: think. So, good. I would also argue, like your primary job isn't to evangelize people.
1: What? You're a pastor. No, no, no. <laughs> no, but your
4: primary job is to glorify God in everything that you do. And a part of that is going back to your thing. And a part of that is evangelizing. But I can't save any, anybody. I can just bear witness to what Christ has done. And that looks like so many different things. And I think sometimes we only think evangelism, that's part of the problem, is I only think I can do it. I met just a a guy at Taco Bell a few minutes ago, and I asked him, his kids came up, dude, it was weird. His kids came up and wanted to like sit with me. And it was just awkward situation. I asked the guy a little bit about what he he did, because I thought it was somewhat of a normal conversation. And he looked at me and went, I'm a father. I went, okay. <laughs> and because he wasn't gonna let his job define him. And they got this big long speech and now he doesn't have a driver's license because he doesn't believe the government should know where he lives. So but anyway, <laughs> that's another matter. But I remember thinking to myself, like he's making a bigger deal out of this than it needs to be. Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna let this define- I'm a father. I'm just thinking, dude, that's just weird. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to prove a point. So let Like, let evangelism come naturally from you and uh, find the fullness of how God will use you.
5: I do that sometimes with, like, um, I'm in the middle of trying to adopt um, my son. And so I'm in this realm of it's just really kind of odd because everything I do stems from my identity in Christ. But that identity in Christ has no merit in a legal system. From their standards, and so it's just kind of weird. And so I, I, I was talking to Ryan Minson about this this morning. Like, it's just weird because I want to say everything I want to say, every argument I want to make, every way to stand up for him. I want it to start with it. it this because this is what I believe. This is this is my life, and I can't always do that. And it wouldn't be wise for me to to do that because you know I I, I do I believe God has put Quan in my life, and I believe God will see that through. You know, and so I trust that He's going to do that, whether these people are broken and sinful and wrong, or whether they know Him, and I have to give Him glory through that. So, how do I glorify Him through this process without just making it? I want everybody to know I'm doing this because God told me to.
2: <laughs> you know, I
5: I have to weigh that on because I don't even I don't even know if that would glorify Him. Really, I think people would be really turned off by that sometimes. So.
4: And I'm a father. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you're, what you do, you show up and you tell 100 people this creepy experience. It's not for that. And obviously, he didn't go as he wanted. He wanted you to go, man, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start telling you a lot.
0: Jim is going to tell people about that.
4: I am. Um, it's Sunday sermon.
0: <laughs> okay, we'll uh, we'll we'll stop here. I know, like I got a text here. I know there are other hands are up, but you can still come. We'll we're still here to chat or whatever. If you have questions, and we'd love to chat about that. If if you are graduating senior and you didn't make it to the lunch, I do have just a sheet about church stuff and about what this next phase looks like that I'd like to give to you. So, um, come find me after that. And that is it. Um, Be watching Facebook. This is kind of our last official thing until um, not this coming Sunday, but the next one. We have a cookout. Be watching the Facebook stuff to find out about other events that may pop up here in the next week or two. All right. There's no official thing next Thursday, but I wouldn't be surprised if something ends up going on
3: here. Something will happen next Thursday.